I think I'm excited about what I've seen with this uh, being neighborly stuff most because I've heard some of the reports that have come back. In fact, one of those reports was one of the, one of the small groups that invited some of the neighbors in the area their small group meets to come join them at their house for a bit of a Christmas party. And I guess three of those neighbors were able to show up. One of those neighbors was actually a Muslim lady. And uh, she came and was like, oh, really interested and started asking questions about kind of, hey, I'm really curious about uh, Christianity and your faith. And how is it that at Christmas you guys celebrate, you know, Santa Claus and reindeer and snowmans and Grinches at the same time with Jesus. Aren't you Christians? And it was like a really challenging question for some of the people in the group where they were like, wow, this is weird. I got like Jesus and I got Elf on the Shelf and I got, uh, yeah, that's about it. You know, maybe you got JD rolling with you right now, but the, um, Jesus' donkey's big in the children's ministry right now. But um, the reality is that there's a lot of this. We've got this truth that we worship, that we know. We know Jesus Christ. We know it was God come in the flesh to love us and to save us. And he died on the cross to bear our sins. And so we celebrate the light come to earth. And there's this pageantry and beauty about it. But in mixed in with this is a bunch of things that are stories and myths and, and just traditions that have grown up around our faith. And I have to be really careful how I contour this with children in the room as we go. But the reality is, I get in trouble every year. Somebody's like, ah! I was like, okay, hold on. But the reality is that this, I hope, may be just something we enjoy at Christmas. Because we do at my house. We enjoy the traditions and the pieces, and we try to keep Christ in that central position. But the reality is that that can be hard every day of the year. Let's be honest, Jesus being the centerpiece of what we are as Christians may not always fit every aspect of where we go and what we do. In fact, we're very prone as Americans to kind of put Jesus in a box and leave him at church or leave him in our home, or maybe he doesn't make it to your home. Maybe he doesn't make it to your workplace. Maybe he doesn't even make it out on the freeway. You know, it doesn't make it into traffic. Jesus doesn't belong. There's no God in traffic. That's how, we, that's how we roll around here. But the reality is maybe that's just where you're at. And I want to challenge that because Jesus is going to challenge that in us today. In fact, he's going to challenge us with what I think is square one for anybody who would call themselves a disciple. Somebody who would even try to follow Jesus. Jesus kind of opens the door and aims at this. Kind of some interesting stuff, difficult, but we'll look at this anyway. So join with me, if you will. Grab a Bible. We're in John chapter 8, and this is where he's going to bring this up. If you don't have a Bible, they're available under the seats. You can grab a Bible right there and pull out. You'll find it on page 894 that we're looking at. For a little quick background, for those of you who may not have been here the last couple of weeks, Jesus is at this thing called the Festival of Booths. It's, it's a Jewish festival in which they would create these little tents and these little lean-to buildings. They would sleep in those at night and they'd all gather around for these celebrations in Jerusalem at the temple. And so they would have this one celebration of water pouring, which represented God's Holy Spirit and his outpouring, and another one of light. And at the end of the light last week, we saw that Jesus stood up and said, I'm the light of the world. Anybody who wants to follow me uh, will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And so that was his declaration. And this debate breaks out around that declaration. And so at the end of that, and I'll let you guys go back and check our podcast if you want to hear more about that. At the end of that, in verse 30, it says, as he was saying these things in that debate, many believed in him. Now, 
Brent, who's just up here, he was uh, giving our announcements and stuff. He's, his main job here at the church as a pastor is to make sure that new believers and guests are, are welcomed and connected, and especially new believers, to ensure that they get the basics and they begin to grow and they're, they're connected. They know the decision that you've made. If you're a young new believer, you've, you've met Brent. And um, he's a great guy, a little sarcastic, but he's a great guy. And uh, he, he's a nice guy, and uh, he tries not to really hurt anybody. And so he's he's kind of a pushover, if you, if you really want me to, if you really want to know, um, because he he's he's willing to work with people, go to coffee, meet you, let you cancel on him, all that fun stuff. Jesus isn't that much of a pushover. In fact, when he talks to a new believer, I'm pretty shocked how just hardcore Jesus gets. I mean, at some point here, he's going to say, basically, you guys are on the seam of the devil. And you're like, what? We'll get that to the, the, near the end of this, and the message. But here Jesus is focused in on new believers. And so if anything, he's saying, hey, this is the beginning point. You guys really want to follow me. Listen up. Here's what it looks like. That's what verse 31 begins with. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so suddenly what we have here is Jesus turns to these new believers. He says, guys, you really want to be my followers. You really want to be my disciple. A weird word basically means an apprentice. Jesus is the master. We're the apprentice. We are learning from him to be like him, to be masters like he is. And that's really what a disciple is. So Jesus is saying, you really want to truly be my disciple, truly be my apprentice. You need to abide in my word. Talk about old school English time, right? Who uses the word abide anymore? It's like, unless you're singing a Christmas song. Now the reality is that abide isn't a word we use. So when you dive into the Greek word, the word is translated in a whole bunch of ways. Some of your translations may read continue. Some of them remain, is remain. Others of them live in. And so there's all these terms that could be used. But what does it mean to live in the word, continue in the word? The word basically boils down to our common concept of stick with it. True disciples stick with God's word. They stay with it. They don't move from it. They, they remain in it. They, they, they abide. They live. They make their home. And that's really what he's getting into, that the word of Jesus is the word that we stick with. That's a big deal in our culture. I mean, since the invention of the printing press, words have dominated culture. Prior to that, words didn't dominate culture. Stories and other things that were oral and spoken dominated. Not, not written words, not words like you and I understand it. And today, written, verbal, and oral words, we're, we're inundated. I mean, just stop and think about it for a second. How many articles and how many websites and how many text messages and how many emails do you get in one week? That's a lot of words. That's a lot of reading, so much so we stopped reading emails a long time ago. In fact, we, we've shrunk our communication down to only so many characters in a, in a tweet because we, we just read so many words, let alone all the things people are selling you and all the visuals that you're getting, whether you want to watch something on YouTube and you've got to wait through that, that advertisement, you're just waiting to skip it because it gives you 10 seconds until you have to. We, we don't want more words than we can contain. Sermons have grown shorter. Where it used to be an, a sermon would be around an hour to two hours in length, they're, they're now down to about 35 minutes and people are like, can you make this faster? I mean, when we are so inundated with words, the very thing we write words on is called word. I mean, I think that's a little ridiculous. But words are everywhere. Especially people trying to advise you on how to live. 
people trying to tell you what the right way is, what the right vote is, what the right this is, what the right that is. All this stuff is told, you got to believe this, you got to do this. And so what we've done as a culture is we basically just said, well, to each their own, because we don't have time to research all this. We need to go live life. There's way too many words. It's interesting that Jesus tells all of us who would say we're a follower of Christ, we're disciples, we want to be like Jesus. He says, you don't have to worry about all those words. Let me narrow it down for you. I give you one set of words, my word. You stand in my word. You stay there. And so that really begins to develop. First, what does it look like? It means that at least we let his words sink in mentally. We should know them. We should have them welded into our mind. Maybe that means to study his word. And that means we're at least once a a week or something, we're reading it and we're understanding it. And sometimes you're looking at it and you're going, I don't understand it, Greg. And that may be why you stopped reading it. Because you, you picked it up a long time ago and you started going through it and it was like from an alien planet, you had no clue what you were looking at and you're like, this is the weirdest stuff in the world. I've got a Christmas present. I'm not buying the Christmas present for you, but I got one that you can buy for somebody who's just beginning in the Bible. It's a simple book called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. Not, not super thick, if that's a thick book to you. Okay, so that's not thick to me. So that's a, that, that's a decent sized book. But what's great about this book, you don't have to read the whole thing. You can read the first couple of chapters. And then what do you do is if you realize where you're at in the Bible, you can open to that section and read how to study that section of the Bible. And so it's a very interesting thing because um, the Bible is a lot like a blockbuster store. Anybody remember blockbusters? I love those places. They're fun to go into. But they would divide all the movies up into genres. Sort of like now if you open up Netflix, it's got genres. But these genres are a little tighter. And so they tell you kind of, here's the rules as you read a genre. You don't read the Psalms the same way that you read Jesus. You don't even read the Old Testament in the same way that you read Revelation. And if you're trying to do that, it's like trying to watch a historical, it's trying to watch Lord of the Rings like it's history, okay? That just doesn't work right. You're kind of like, this doesn't make sense. There were dragons and what? So the reality is you need to know the rules. And so this book helps you. And when you get that, you can grasp what it's saying. Once you grasp what it's saying, guys, we should be able to memorize the truth and know the truth. Even quote the truth, I guarantee. You don't go through a single day without somebody quoting a movie at you. Isn't that true? I mean, I was, I was joking because I was going to use this illustration. We're in the back room. And, and one of our, a Christian up here from the band was like, he quotes my, like my favorite childhood movie, Goonies. And he's like, it's the spot where Chunk is like confessing sins of his life. He's like, I pushed my sister down the stairs and I blamed it on the dog. I used Max, my Uncle Max's toupee in my Hebrew school play. It was just, I memorized that whole scene. That's an awesome scene. And so honestly, it's like, I quote that movie. That's my movie I end up quoting. And it's like, I got it, I got it, I don't got it. You know, these kind of, some of you guys, you quote The Princess Bride because that's the one thing that flows. I know a guy who, Every other thing was expressed in Dumb and Dumber. And it was just, people quote, and what's your movie you quote? Because I guarantee you've got one, and it's on, you can just knock it out. Right now it's Christmas time, and some of you guys are like quoting Elf, and others of you are like, you'll shoot your eye out, kid. You know, you've got all these things, and I just have to reference the stuff, and we know what we're talking about. How far gone are the days in which people quoted scriptures to one another? I mean, today, when people quote scriptures, it's one of two cases, It's either your children are doing something wrong, you really want to underline that you're a Christian father and you don't do that back because you don't repay evil for evil. So our children grow up believing that, oh, you quote scripture when you're mad at somebody. You know, that's kind of how I I feel in my home. On the switch, on the flip side, you quote scripture because you're, because you're, you're trying to show you know scripture. 
And we get this almost holier-than-thou mentality when someone tells us scripture. You're like, oh, so wonderful that you're a Christian. That's not how we, I mean, but scripture should be on our minds in all cases. We should understand scripture influences business. Scripture influences the way that we talk to each other. Scripture influences the way that we think about ourselves. I mean, do we have the scripture in our minds so it's sunk in in such a manner that the truths of scripture are rolling through your head? Or do you continue to have other things that have been told to you in the labeling of our lives, of our past, rolling through your head still? And these are the kind of things where, I mean, it needs to sink in mentally. It really needs to become something that's in our lives, that is in our minds. But also, at the same time, it needs to be something we live out. You need to know it well enough that you're able to do it. Now, note, I'm going to skip that you feel scripture. Our culture is all about feelings. Why would you skip that, Greg? We need to feel it before we can do it. No, not true. In fact, if you quite understand the scriptures really well, your first reaction oftentimes is, I don't want to do that. That's how you'll feel. When you're in really difficult situation at work and somebody's trying to take your job and suddenly you're reading the scriptures and you say, okay, Greg, so we need to abide in the truth. Okay, I'm going to stay there, read Jesus. And you go on, Jesus says, love your enemies. And you understand that that means you're supposed to care about this person who's trying to take your job. Your feeling is, he didn't say that. (laughs) I don't need to hear that. I'm good with this. Your feeling is, I don't want to do this, not I do want to do this. Oh, Jesus said to love our enemies. Isn't that so wonderful? That's not, that's how you feel. They're really not your enemy. You really don't feel like they're your enemy then. You understand the difficulty Jesus has asked you to bring. When you're sitting there and you're in the middle of one of the hottest, heated moments in your marriage and you're yelling and screaming at your spouse and men, suddenly you realize that Ephesians told you you were to love your wife as you love yourself, serving her even under death. That doesn't mean some mythic moment in your life in which some gunman is going to break in with with a rifle and blow you away as you save your wife. No, no, no. He's meaning as Jesus served us daily, caring for the church. And when you suddenly know it mentally and you realize that means I need to be doing dishes. Oh, uh, laundry once in a while is a good idea. Oh, she's really asked me to do that thing with, the, uh, with purchasing that stuff. It, that's what serving is. I'll be quite honest. Sometimes, guys, I'm there with you. I don't want to obey scripture. I don't feel like it. He asked me to clean these dishes after I had a long day at work and drove home in nine hours of traffic. And you know, I get it. There's these kind of feelings. So we're going to skip the feelings portion because we need to obey. And sometimes the feelings come later. Some kind, sometimes you wind up caring for that person, that neighbor, and loving your neighbor as yourself, even though you didn't want to because when Stephen said, hey, let's go love our neighbors, you said, I'm an introvert. I don't have to listen to this. Not true. And we have to. And we step out and suddenly we connect. And suddenly the relationship begins to move. And you go to bed one night and you're going, wow, God, I'm so glad I could care about my next door neighbor. I didn't even know they were going through that. I didn't even know they were working. And you're praying for them. And you're caring about them. That's a big deal. It's not easy to obey. Sometimes our feelings don't especially want to obey, but Jesus says this is where we live. We abide in it. Oftentimes, when I'm invited to somebody's home, whether it's a family member or anybody else, I will gravitate to bookshelves. 
don't know if anybody else is like that. I'm a book junkie. I love books. Or I also like movies. So if they don't have books, I gravitate to their movie shelf because people have movie shelves still. It's not all DVR yet. And, all, all, and so I find myself looking at them. And this is my evil heart, so, so don't knock me for this. But I'm reading, I'm looking at the books going, I don't have these books. Why would you have that book? That's an interesting book. Ooh, that book? Or I'll look at movies and I'll go like, they really like comedies. Oh, they really like thrillers. Oh, that, why is that one in there? I hope the kids don't know that one's in there. Why do I know that one? Ah! It's like, okay, so. <clears throat> and right now people are going, I was going to invite Greg for lunch. We're not doing that. And I hide the DVDs. You know, it's like, okay, I get it. But the, the reality is simply that your home says a lot about who you are. The way you decorate it, what you put out in the open, what you, what you lay out, how clean your office is or how, how messy your room is. You, know, you really don't let people into your bedroom because you're like, we don't want them to see that. But the reality is that's what tells people the most about who you are, is your home. And Jesus says, I want you to make it, I want you to live in the word, abide in the word, which means that the word becomes our abode. It becomes a place you live. It becomes what, divi- what teaches people what you're like. When they see you, does, is this what they see? Do they see you loving people? Do they see you caring about them? Whether, whatever, regardless of what they believe, did you care about them? You're willing to share with them. You're willing to sacrifice that their lives would be better. Do they see that there's godliness in you, that, yeah, you, your, your tongue may slip, but then you apologize because you know, hey, I'm, I'm trying to follow Jesus and that's not really what I do. Or, you know, those kind of cases, are you allowing yourself to make the difficult sacrifices and limiting yourself by the word? Because you know what? What we see in our lives is, is going to reveal what our homes are going to look like. And if this is our home, it should be showing up. It should be coming through. It should be identifying us in very real ways. Now, Jesus then says, hey, if this is the kind of thing that you do, if you abide in my word, you're true. not only are you truly my disciples, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Free? What do you mean free? We're not bound up. We're, we're Americans. We, we got freedom. Well, that's not really what Jesus means. In fact, the Jewish people felt the same. Take a look as we move on. They answered him, we're the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. Don't remember Egypt. All right, so um, where they were enslaved to Pharaoh. But anyway, we'll move on. How is it that you say you will become free? We've never been enslaved, but what they're saying is we're, we're, this, we're the representatives of Abraham. We're on his team. We've never been enslaved spiritually. As Jewish people, we've never worshiped false gods. We worship the one true God. We've always done that. We're not like the Gentiles. But the reality is that Jesus says, oh, yes, you are enslaved. Notice what he goes on to answer them. Verse 34, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. I know that you're offspring of Abraham. You seek to kill me because the word, my word finds no place in you. And I speak what I have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. Now, right there, Jesus says, let's stop here. Anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Can I do just an impromptu, fun little survey? Has anybody, uh, if, if you've sinned once in your life, would you just put your hand up right now? All right, good. We're just going to, wow, we got a couple right here that's holy. They've never sinned. I just appreciate this. Well, everybody's like, obviously. Well, keep your hand up. Put your hand up. If you've sinned once, keep your hand up. Put it up. 
Put it up, keep it up. Twice. Two times. Anybody's hand going down? Two, three. Can I get five? All right, so Jesus says you sin once, your hand's up, you're a slave to sin. Jesus says in the spiritual realm, it's not like the physical realm. Once you walked up to the master of sin, who is sin, and said, here I am, I'm going to do what you tell me to. You are now enslaved. Spiritually speaking, it's not just one decision, one little choice we made. Whoops, I made a mistake. No, it's a choice to turn your back on God, to fully rebel by taking on saying, I've got this. You tell God you're not as good as you think you are because you said this was wrong and it wasn't. And you're not as smart as you think you are because actually I'm smart enough to make this decision. In fact, you're not, you're not powerful enough to stop me because I'm going to go ahead and do this. You, you basically insult all of God in one simple sin. And we've committed far more than one. And Jesus just simply says, when you've committed a sin, you're a slave to it. It now has right to tell you what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. See, freedom in scripture is not the freedom to do whatever we want. Freedom in scripture is actually to be set free from that who had bound you. Sin has bound us. If you think about it, sin acts like, like a master. And so we need this freedom that Jesus gives. It's enslaved us. Slavery is a horrific reality. No matter what culture we were in, um, while the Jewish picture of slavery was more of an indentured servitude where you paid debts off and you set people free as they became Jewish and things like that, and you were to let them go every seven years, most of the world's slavery was not that vision. It was kidnapping and servant and people you took from war. It was only in America that we made the worst kind of slavery, which was complete ethnic slavery. Only one kind of people were enslaved. And so we have a really bad taste in our mouth about slavery, and we should. But when you start to think about the fact that we're all enslaved, that's why we can sing that song that we remind ourselves from Oh Holy Night that the slave, he is our brother. We are all enslaved. By sin. See, sin has the right to demand and command you to do something. Whether it's, you need to go, you need to go take that guy's jaw back, punch him in the face. You need to yell at the guy, he's in your way. Hey, check her out. Oh, oh, do you hear that gossip? Now, they don't use those terms. That's always the preacher way of shorthanding it. It's far more like you hear a story and sin inside of you says, that's really interesting. And you find yourself gravitating. You hear the joke, and part of you may be resisting, but you know another part of you is telling you, go listen, go listen, go listen, or you're listening from a distance. No matter how dirty or seamy that joke actually is. You're not gonna go to that website, but everything in the curiosity zone is telling you, do it, do it, do it. That's the command of sin. It can command and demand you. And if, it, if you don't listen to the command or the demand and you say, I'm not listening, the next thing it pulls out is, is it goes, oh, but I got all these great things for you. It tries to reward you. Like a master, it'll try to reward you. If you do this for me, I'll give you these great rewards. You're not going to go, oh, here, come on. It'll, it'll give you this pleasure for the moment. It'll make you in the in crowd. It'll make you cool. I mean, how many times do we hear that one? You'll be in the know. You'll get the raise. If you do this, your boss will think good of you and then XYZ will occur. Come on, reward, reward. And we're like, yeah, yeah. And we resist that. Sin still has one more that he uses the power of punishment. And suddenly you realize you're gonna lose something. 
I'm going to lose that reward. I'm going to lose that job. I'm going to lose, if I, if I say something and stand for truth, I'm going to lose that relationship. If I confess on myself, I'm, I'm going to make that person angry and that's going to be painful. And I don't want to look ashamed. I don't want to be humble. I don't want to look broken. If you do this, if you, if you don't listen to me, sin says, I'm going to punish you. I'm going to just keep punishing. I'm going to push on you. I'm going to be in your face. Sin loves to play these games with us. It's a master. And here's the thing. If you don't know what I'm talking about, if you have no clue, you're like, I've never experienced anything like that in my life. Um, I want to encourage you to consider that you may be enslaved. Because when somebody is truly enslaved, they're not resisting the master. They just do what they say. If you're a Christian and you feel these things and you're going like, I must be enslaved. No, actually, that's the proof of your freedom. Because you realize there's somebody else telling you to do something. Christian walk is always full of the realizations of the temptations, the demands, and the punishments of sin. Because we don't serve sin anymore. We've been set free. And so when the master comes up, the old master is trying to tell you what to do. You're telling him, I don't have to listen to you. And a war ensues in your soul. We call it a spiritual war. It's when we struggle with the things that we felt like we were born for or we were made this way. And we realize, no, it's temptation. I need to resist to stay in the word. That's the war in the Christian soul. And every person who's a Christ follower knows what I'm talking about. Amen out there? And the reality is that if you don't feel that, you're just giving into it all the time anyway. Let's do that. You're like, sure, doesn't hurt anybody. Hey, here's a pleasure. Yeah, feels good. Why would, I want to do, why would I not do this? I mean, all these problems would happen. And this is the reality of how sin works. And we just give into it. And so we need a freedom. See, no amount of rules and legalism and no amount of religion is ever going to give you the ability to escape the master because the master just uses those to his advantage. You become a spiritual holy person. And so you're capable and more powerful than other people. It's just sin. Become a judgmental person. You know what's best. It's just sin. You become a tolerant person. Everyone do whatever they want. That's just sin. And the reality is that any form mixes it up and gets it a mess. So the only way that we're free is that the son sets us free. Notice what he says. And Jesus says the son has all rights to free slaves. He says, hey, the slave does not remain in the house forever. They can be sold off. They can be set free. All these different things. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you're free indeed. And we don't get this, but Jesus said, I'm the son of God. I have right over all things. I can set everyone free because I am God, because he would go to the cross. He would die on the cross, bearing all of our sin. That if we would receive him, he would set us free. And there's this bearing of sin on himself. And so he opens the door to free humanity. We understand this. You see, President Abraham Lincoln, in the middle of the war, the war wasn't over yet, he came out and made a declaration called the Emancipation Proclamation. And he had signed and said, all people in, are free. And he was meaning in the South, there are no more, no more slaves can be held. Now in the South, they're like, he can't say that. He has no right. These are our property. No, no, no. You know, the slave owners were yelling that. But he is the president. And then when the government says it's outlawed and everyone is free, that's the case. 
And so when Jesus, who is Lord over all, steps up and says, if I say you're free, you're free. And you can be free as you receive his work on the cross. And he frees us from sin. And so how does truth set us free then? Isn't that an odd thought? I mean, one way is to acknowledge that Jesus is the son who has right to say you're free. And so when sin comes to you and demands, or sin comes to you and tempts, or sin comes to you to punish, you can, we have the right as Christians to look at the sinfulness inside of us and say, I don't have to listen to you anymore. You don't control me. And he doesn't control you if you're abiding in the word. If you're in it and sticking with it and the word is coming through your life. And here's why. Because you're actually free when you're in it. Now, how many in here play the guitar? Anybody in here play guitar? I play guitar a little bit. I'm not amazing at it. Now, we have some people on our band. They're amazing at guitar. In fact, David Weiss is one of the guys who comes up. He has like his master's degree in guitar playing or something like that. It's just incredible. The guy can just like, oh, what do you, oh yeah, that's the diminished D. La, la, la. And you're just like, what'd you say? I did not understand the words that were coming out of your mouth. That is so like foreign to me. And yet he'll pick up a guitar and suddenly I'm like, I understand what you're doing. I hear the music. I can't do that. I pick up a guitar and I'm like, you know, it's like, now I give the guitar to my children and they're like, yeah, it's like whatever. And here's what's funny. We think that if you can do anything you want, you're free. Who's the freest person with the guitar? David. David can do anything he wants on that guitar. He can play whatever he needs to play. He can, he can use that guitar to do things that are incredible. My children, bang, bang, you know, that's what they're doing. And the culture goes, amazing music. You're free to do it. Awesome, awesome. And the people who play the music are over here going like, that's not music. You're not even using that thing right. Oh, you are so holier than thou. Isn't that odd? Because what Jesus is, is he's the master of living. In fact, later he'll challenge them. Show me my sin. I've never sinned. He's not enslaved anything. He is the complete freest person that has ever walked the planet. He has lived life so fully and perfectly. He never sinned. And he walks around and says, listen to my word. Walk in my word and you'll be free. Now we're not born free. You're born enslaved. You can't use the guitar right. You can't use life right. And so here comes the word. And some of us are a little freer because we've been working on it and growing in it. And others of us, he's saying, get to the place where you've mastered it. Get to the place where you're living in my word so that you're living life as a master of life where you can do whatever you need to in life and you're not gonna sin. And now, sin's always gonna be with us. But as we abide in his word, we're free from it. We can grow now. We can develop in true living as we understand his word and put it into our lives. Otherwise, we're just bang, 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 bang. And we may celebrate that or whatever, but the reality is that that's where we're at. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Abide in my word. It sets you free. When I set you free, you're free indeed. And so the question is, are we listening? Whose voice are we listening to? I played basketball in high school. I got to actually play. I played center my entire time. I don't know how that happened. I stopped growing in junior high. I'm only six feet tall. And, but I loved playing the game. So when I left high school, um, 
I, I had that kind of post high school time period where you, you still play the sport you loved in high school because you can. And so I wasn't in college. I didn't do the college sports thing. So I'd go to gyms and I'd play with guys and and invariably, you would be playing, and I'd get the ball, and you'd be dribbling. And if you worked with guys, you'd have different plays and stuff. You'd work out, and that was fine. But inevitably, you'd get the ball, and out of the corner of your ear, you hear, hey, pass it. And you're like, pass it, pass it. And if you weren't paying attention, you would turn and pass the ball because you thought they were open. And the guys on the other team, anybody ever have that happen to them? You, or you did that? <laughs> yes. the, re- the point is, who are you listening to? What team are you playing on? Some of you in football, you remember there were playbooks. You had to memorize playbooks. In basketball, we had to memorize a playbook. There was this information that we had to have. And if you played the wrong playbook, you're essentially playing for the other team. And there are two teams that are working in this world. You see, you may live as a master of life, but the world won't want you to. It's going to push back. It's going to bring problems because there are two teams working in this world. And Jesus right there turns around he says, hey, you listen from, you've heard from your father. And they said, well, Abraham's our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works Abraham did. In other words, if you were, on, if you were playing my playbook, you'd do the things that he's doing. Disciples follow Jesus' playbook is how he's going to get into it. And so he says this, Abraham is our father. He's going to talk a lot about fathers. And fathers in the ancient world was, you identified your father with how you lived. So when the way that you live would either shame or honor your father, not you. Your kids did that to you. And it was a way of showing whether or not your children were obedient to you or whether you were a good father or not. Whether, and so there, there was this connection between the way that you lived and how it represented your father. And so they're saying, hey, what team are you on? Well, who do you represent? And so it starts off with, he says, Abraham is our father. We're on Abraham's team. And Jesus said to them, well, if you were on Abraham's children, if you were on his team, you'd be doing the works that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who's told you the truth that I heard from God. It's not what Abraham did. Well, well, uh, you're doing the works that your father did. We're not born of sexual immorality, they said. We have one father, even God. We're on God's team. And Jesus said, you're on God's team. If God was your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I'm here. I came not of my own accord. I'm the captain of the team, guys. You don't like the captain, you're not on the team. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you can't bear to hear my word. And then he says it. There are points in scripture that I feel like I don't want to preach, and this is one of those, but this is what he says. He just lays it out there. He says, you're of, you are of your father, the devil. There it is, the devil. I knew they were going to get in the church lady eventually, you know, that kind of stuff. But no, we do. We believe that there are spiritual forces beyond human beings in this world. There are spiritual beings that exist out there. Angels and demons, devils, if you want to call them that. And yes, there is a head of that force, of those forces that is named Satan, who is the accuser. And there's a team. And there's a group of people. There is a way to live, a playbook that they play by. You don't think they know the scriptures? Of course they do. They know the truth. They just don't live in it. Which is a danger to us, not just to have it mentally. And so here, Jesus says, I'll show you the playbook. First of all, you can't bear to hear this because you can't hear my word. I find that, you can't bear my word. I find that fascinating. How many people today can't bear up under the word of God? I mean, the, the Bible says some pretty radical stuff, guys. Like, men are men and women are women. And I'm not trying to mock it, but that is the reality of where our culture is at today. 
where we literally are going to say things about life where we're like, we don't like that it says that sex belongs only in the marriage. And people go, I mean, look on Facebook, say that on Facebook, how's how's the reaction going to be? You want to create a firestorm, you have to shut something down real fast. Say what the Bible says, just say it. And see if a culture can bear the words that come from the Bible. And when you realize we can't bear it, what we do is we say then anything goes because we can't bear it. We're good. On the flip side, he says this, you're aware that the father, you are of your father, the devil, and, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has nothing to do with the truth because the truth is not in him. On the flip side, we have a bunch of people who are running around and yelling, you're haters, you're haters. And I've heard that towards the church a lot. Now let's be honest here. There are, there are churches and there may be some of us who are harboring hate in our heart. Whether it be racist, whether it be aimed at other lifestyles, we are to love all people. They are made in the image of God. Hate is not to be harbored in the heart of a Christian. That's the wrong playbook. The original hater was the devil. The original one who hated and wanted to kill was the devil. The original murderer was the devil. The reason he's telling them you guys are of that playbook is they're trying to kill him. Though he did nothing wrong. And we need to check our hearts to ensure that there's not hate in us. And I mean that on both sides. If you're, if you're sitting there going, amen, get him, pastor, because these Christians need to hear that. All right, be warned that you're not yelling your hatred at people who stand for what they believe the Bible says. Hate goes both ways. And I know there are movements out there who don't like what the Bible says. They can't bear it. And so they're ready to shut it down. They're ready to lock people in jail. They're ready to have them punished. Guys, I I see that as the same kind of stuff. And right now it's like, I can't bear this. It's heavy. I know. But let's not hate. Christians aren't to, we're to, Hold to the word of God, which teaches us to love all people, to be gracious, to be loving, not to harbor hatred. That's the wrong playbook. And he says, that's the playbook of the enemy. Nothing, it has nothing to do with the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. He's a liar and the father of lies. And right now people are like, you're calling the culture a liar. Hold on. I'm calling the culture, yes, filled with lies. Let me give you an example. Does anybody know what the word of the year is according to Merriam-Webster? Post-truth, that's the word of the year. For 2016, way to go, guys. Post-truth, that's the word. What they mean by that is there is no ability for truth today to be handled or harbored. We need hugs and safe spaces and cookies. Or we need to yell and scream and spit our vitriol because to be honest, we're confused about truth. We don't know when men begin and women end. We don't understand what the boundaries of a marriage is. We don't understand when life starts. We don't understand when life is dignified in its end. We don't understand so many things we, that used to hold a cohesive world together. And I'm not mad about it. I don't think anybody should be mad about it. Don't get mad. Jesus revealed what's going on. We're a world of people, including people in the church who've been enslaved to sin. We have wrong thinking about things. That's why we have to live in the truth from one who's outside of the mess and brought truth to us. Notice what Jesus says. 
Because I tell the truth, you do not believe in me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? I'm not in this mess, I'm out of it. If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is because you are not of God. And what I want to say today is simply this. We have a culture that's living out exactly like the Bible said it would. It shouldn't shock you. It shouldn't make you angry. It should call you to remember we are called to live in the truth. We are called to love our neighbors as ourselves. We are called to love one another as Christ loved us. We are called to love our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We are called to show compassion, mercy, grace, and truth. These are our standards in the way that we live. And when we see a world confused, guys, let's not play the wrong playbook. Let us shine forth the good works of our God that they may see his love. The simple question that we have to ask ourselves in the end is this. Whose words do you listen to and act upon today? If we're going to call ourselves true Christ followers, whose words are you listening to? Who are you quoting in your head? Who do you adorn in your home? How do you act upon it? Is it just in your mind or are you living it out? Because to truly be his disciples and to truly be free, we got to stick with his word. Do you hear me? Amen? Not easy. Doesn't feel good. Not all the time. But let's follow our Lord. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, thank you that your word is a challenge to us. It's not easy. I don't like saying these things all the time. It'd be easier to skip. But you have not given us that privilege You've called us to be a people of your word, to live out your word that identifies us. Oh, let that love of you, of others, let that truth and grace shine through us. Not just through our words, but also through our actions, through our sacrifices. Because God, we want as many people to know you and be released from sin as possibly could. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to be in your word today. Thank you for the challenge. May we abide in your word this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's children said, amen.